ECO Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshalek. In this edition of Eco Report, we have the second half of a discussion between environmental correspondent Zero Rose and Delaney Barber. She is the Outreach, Energy, and Climate Coordinator for the Hoosier Environmental Council. And now for your environmental reports. WTHR of Indianapolis reports Indiana has seen nearly double the number of air quality alerts in 2023 than 2022, according to new statistics released by the Indiana Department of Environmental Management, or IDEM. Feeling like you've suffered a smokier summer than last year? It's not your imagination. Officials at IDEM, the state's primary environmental organization, reported that while they issued a total of 13 air quality action days last year, we already had 25 this year, although we are only just over halfway through the summer. Of those 25, 14 were issued because of ozone pollution and 10 were issued because of particle pollution, or PM 2.5. Particle pollution consists of tiny particles suspended in the air, which range from less harmful to toxic, such as in the case with fossil fuel emissions, factory debris, and even soot from fires. Ozone, or O3 by contrast, is a colorless and highly reactive gas composed of oxygen atoms, which, although a layer of ozone in the atmosphere protects the Earth from harmful UVB rays from the sun. It's toxic to humans in the lower atmosphere, especially affecting the lungs. The most recent case of Canadian wildfire smoke passing through Indiana are attributed to a single source that's sending an excess of fire, um, fine particulate matter into the air. Exposure to pollution uh, particulate pollution, or PM 2.5, is linked to heart attacks, irregular heartbeats, and premature death in people with heart and lung disease. One study from Harvard linked exposure to PM 2.5 to higher rates of death from COVID-19. The Indiana legislature is not particularly concerned with air quality in the state, as demonstrated by their total support of the coal industry and their efforts to marginalize wind and solar. Indiana ranks 45th among states in terms of levels of particulate matter in the air. According to PBS, of all extreme weather conditions, heat is the deadliest. It kills more people in the U.S. in, in an average year than hurricanes, tornadoes, and floods combined. The human body has a built-in cooling mechanism, sweat. But that system can only do so much, especially in soaring temperatures with high humidity. When your body is exposed to heat, it will try to cool itself down by redirecting more blood to the skin, says Ollie Jay, a professor of heat and health at the University of Sydney, where he directs the heat and health research incubator. But that means less blood and less oxygen are going to your gut. If these conditions go on long enough, your gut can become more permeable. 
So nasty things like endotoxins that usually reside and stay inside the gut start leaking out of the gut, entering the circulation. And that sets off a cascade of effects that ultimately result in death, Jay says. The second way people die in high heat also has to do with your body pumping more blood to the skin. Your heart has to pump faster, which can make you feel lightheaded to keep your blood pressure up. We might have a heart attack rate, excuse me, we might have a heart rate of 60 beats per minute all of a sudden. We might be asking the heart to contract contract 100 times per minute, 110 times per minute. So now you're asking the heart to do a lot more work, Jay says. Those spikes in the heart rate can be triggers for a heart attack, he says, especially for the elderly and those with underlying heart conditions. The third deadly danger has to do with the fluids your body is losing in extreme heat. People can sweat as much as a liter and a half per hour, Jay says. And if you don't replenish those fluids, you get dehydrated and your blood volume shrinks, which makes it harder to maintain blood pressure. That can strain your heart and your kidneys. The era of global boiling has arrived, according to the UN chief. As heat waves and wildfires cause chaos in North Africa, Europe and North America, climate scientists from the United Nations have announced that it is almost certain this July will be the warmest month ever recorded. However, worldwide record keeping only began in 1880. There are millions of years where the earth was warmer because of volcanic activity, although this is no excuse for global warming. At a press conference Thursday on climate, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres warned, quote, the era of global warming has ended. The era of global boiling has arrived, end quote, a UN press release said. Today, the World Meteorological Organization and the European Commission's Copernicus Climate Change Service are releasing official data that confirms that this July 2023, it was the hottest month ever recorded in human history, Guterres said. The consequences are clear and tragic. As children are swept away by monsoon rains, families run from wildfires, and workers collapse in scorching heat. Chris Hewitt, the World Meteorological Organization's Director of Climate Services, said that, based on 173 years of data, the eight warmest years on record occurred from 2015 to 2022, and that substantial warming had been happening since the 1970s, a UN news report reported. Climate change is here, and it's just the beginning, Guterres said, as reported by UN News. Guterres emphasized that global action was needed now on the emissions and climate adaptation and finance fronts. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for others to move first, Guterres said in the press release. We have seen some progress, a robust rollout of renewables, some positive steps from sectors such as shipping, but none of this is going far enough or fast enough. Accelerating temperatures demand accelerated action. In spite of this enormous evidence of climate change, the Indiana legislator responds as if this is year 1955. Exploit all natural resources and allow high levels of pollution. That's the mantra of our leaders. You know it's hot when cactuses are dying. 
CNN reports that at a botanical garden in Phoenix, some cactuses can't take the heat. Record high temperatures in Arizona, combined with a lack of seasonal monsoons, have caused saguaro cactuses at the Desert Botanical Garden to become highly stressed, according to Chief Science Officer Kimberly McHugh. She said a saguaro can appear fairly normal or feel somewhat squishy before it suddenly collapses and reveals it has been rotting from the inside out due to heat-related stress. Every February, the Desert Botanical Garden takes inventory of, of its saguaro cactuses and assesses each one's condition. McHugh said since 2020, when record temperatures cause stress in many of the saguaros, she and her team have seen more of the garden's cactuses die. Present-day heat records are sending some of those previously affected cactuses over the edge, causing them to lose limbs and even collapse. Given water temperatures in the mid-90s around South Florida, the coral reefs are in danger. CBS News published an update on July 24th. Coral reefs play a vital role in the overall health of the planet. And off the coast of Florida, they're in jeopardy as relentless heat continues. The Coral Restoration Foundation said in one coral reef restoration site off of the state's coast, the extreme temperatures have proved deadly. Quote, on July 20th, foundation teams visited Sombrero Reef, a restoration site we've been working at for over a decade. What we found was unimaginable. 100% coral mortality, end quote, said Fanner Montoya Mayoa, a restoration program manager at the foundation who has a doctorate in biology. We've lost the all, almost all the coral <coughs> corals in the Lou Key Nursery in the Lower Keys. Sombrero Reef is a protected area off Florida Keys, just past Marathon. It's, pop, it's a popular site for snorkelers and divers, and as the area is home to star corals that are considered endangered under the Endangered Species Act. The Coral Restoration Foundation has been on a mission to restore the reef, spending years of planting and protecting various corals. All of the efforts to reduce global warming have proven inadequate to slow the pace of warming. The growth in the atmospheric carbon dioxide increases every year. Therefore, the coral reefs around Florida will likely be dead for several centuries. One approach is to establish reefs that would is to establish reefs would be to introduce corals farther north, perhaps along the outer banks and or Long Island. And now we go to environmental correspondent Zero Rose as he explores funding provisions of the Federal Inflation Reduction Act and other climate pollution reduction measures being advocated and implemented in Indiana with Delaney Barber of the Hoosier Environmental Council. To learn more about the Hoosier Environmental Council and Hoosiers for Community Solar, see the HEC website at www.hecweb.org. And I know you uh, recently participated in a webinar uh, panel, and I believe it part, touched partly upon the uh, Inflation Reduction Act and some of the provisions in there. Um, do you see inroads or progress uh, with Indiana uh, taking advantage of some of those federal funds? Yes. So at this time, we are pushing 
a lot of people to know what consumer incentives are out there and how to take advantage of them. And we're also a resource for local governments or nonprofits um, to point them in the right direction and connect them with people that can um, have that technical assistance help because there's a lot of money out there, not just for tax credits to implement your own change in your home um, or apartment, whatever your residence is. Um, there's also a lot for your local government to take advantage of, your local nonprofits to take advantage of. And then at the same time, we are advocating to the state to make sure that they are implementing and taking full advantage of the climate pollution reduction grant, which they did submit a notice of intent for and are currently looking for a consultant. And that is going to make sure the state makes a climate action plan and does a greenhouse gas inventory, which we've never had before. So this money is definitely spurring um, a lot of states that wouldn't have done it themselves to take advantage of these opportunities. Um, and then in central Indiana, they also qualified for the climate pollution reduction grant. And so the Marion County, so Indianapolis, Carmel, Anderson, metropolitan area, which I think extends down to Nashville, Indiana as well, um, is also creating a regional climate action plan that connects all of these counties, including transportation and emissions. Um, and they are also going to be hosting public sessions as well. So there are people taking advantage of things that are already available. Um, we have ways of tracking new opportunities as they become available as well. And then we can help people take advantage of those consumer incentives and also fight to make sure that those consumer incentives stay available for the 10 years that they are allotted for. And uh, imagine they're gonna try to implement some uh, private partnerships get some other entities to do matching monies and things like that on those maybe? Um, so the, I know the climate pollution reduction grants do not require community matching. Um, some of these funding opportunities do, but the, the pollution grants did not require any matching. And once the initial stage is complete, there'll be a competitive pool of about 4.6 Mm, I want to say million dollars, billion dollars <laughs> um, available for competitive opportunities to implement what is in your climate action plan. And that does not have to be implemented by the agency that's leading the climate action plan. So that could be implemented by INDOT or other regional transportation organizations if it's a transportation related initiative. And uh I know that generally you're kind of dealing with the home team or uh, within the choir, uh, but are you seeing any kind of a cultural backlash with uh, kind of the climate change denialism and kind of a, a general conservative consensus at this point, not, not totally across the board, but here in Indiana, uh, are you seeing any kind of resistance from either, you know, local communities or 
particular legislators or uh, state officials? So actually my first in-person session in the state house was this past 2023 session. And we talked a lot about climate change um, because of the climate change task force Senate bill that we were trying to get through. It did get a hearing. It did not get a vote though. Um, so we're going to keep pushing that action to be taken in different policies, but in those discussions, um, there are a lot of legislators at the state house that do admit that climate change is real and it's happening. I think there's a disconnect really with how much is it actually affecting us? How much can we actually attribute to our emissions that we're emitting ourselves? And then how serious is it matching that up with what policy do we really need to take? Um, is this a step too far? I think is the disconnect with it. And on our side, we're like, we needed to be doing things 10, 20 years ago. It is, it is very important to do it right now. Um, and so there's less of that climate denial, but it's not a motivator to do certain policies at this point. Um, it's not a reason to take action in the state house. And we're missing that disconnect in our um, environmental policies, like around our wetlands. Um, we need to protect those even more than ever um, because they help us with floods and heavy rainfall. And we're not seeing opportunities in our energy utilities as well to, to push um, our renewable energy growth that needed to be pushed a long time ago. But solar and wind are becoming cheaper. Oh, sorry. Um, so solar and wind are becoming cheaper and they haven't had the same leg up as oil and gas has in the past. Um, and even with the leg up uh, and funding that oil and gas has, solar and wind are becoming very feasible for communities. And we're kind of just seeing a resistance um, from the utility end to make that transition and make it, make it quicker. And so are there any uh, major projects in the state that you would point to as something that has been successful as far as implementation or overcoming any kind of local pushback and basically are integrated at this point and supplying homes with energy or uh, any other kind of uh, resilience mitigation? Let's see. Um... I know recently, and I can't think of the county off the top of my head, um, we spoke at when they were thinking about their solar ordinances. So we're seeing a lot of county level solar and wind ordinances go into place, some more restrictive than others. Um, and we had a win there with um, making sure that it wasn't restrictive. It was putting in good solar policy to allow solar in the city limits. Um, for climate, 
the Environmental Resilience Institute has been doing a great job at helping local communities take climate wins. So with their McKinney Climate Fellow Program, they've provided um, support to make climate action plans, to do greenhouse gas inventories. Um, I know some big wins is the city of Goshen is a good example. The city of Indianapolis has been really active, the city of Zionsville. Um, and for instance, the city of Evansville just hired, I believe, a sustainability coordinator or someone to fill that role, which hasn't been available in the past because that's in response to the climate pollution reduction grant in, in conjunction with Kentucky. So we are seeing a lot of action at the local level on climate. Um, and we're seeing a lot of wins there. So being active in those communities, not just at the state house level, but at the county and city level, um, we're seeing a lot of great opportunities for climate action implementation. And uh, is there anything else that you uh, want to highlight that Hoosier Environmental Council is doing or how people can get involved with the community solar initiative? Yes. So if you sign up for our e-news on our website, hecweb.org, um, we will be keeping everyone up to date on how they can get active in the community solar initiative, which is going to be one of our big initiatives um, this coming session. Um, additionally, we will be hosting a how to engage with your legislator webinar um, sometime in September, and that will be released shortly on our website, social media, and through our e-news. So you can get training on how to speak with your legislators about wetlands and community solar specifically. Um, and you can also take action right now on wetlands by sending a message to your legislator on our website through um, a form on our homepage. But we strongly encourage the best way to make an impact on these issues is to try to meet with your legislator in person with the second best being calling them. But if you don't have a lot of time, there are easy ways to take action consistently on these issues. Well, great. Uh, thank you for uh, letting our audience know uh, about some ways that they can get involved to try to have some impact on this situation. I know a lot of people are feeling kind of powerless and overwhelmed and are really looking for something that they can participate in to uh, give back to the life support systems and preserve them for future generations. So we appreciate you being with us. Thank you for having me. This is In Nature. I'm Kaylin Huffman Brower. This segment of In Nature is about the endangered species, the smooth green snake. The smooth green snake is a 14 to 26 inch long, small and streamlined, bright grass green snake with a long tapering tail. The belly is white and tinged with pale yellow. It mates in the spring and late summer 
and lays 3 to 11 cylindrical-shaped, thin-shelled eggs in late July to August. The young hatch in 4 to 23 days. A choice egg-laying site may be shared by many females. You can find the smooth green snake in meadows, grassy marshes, and moist grassy fields along the forest edge. They are active during the day and excellent climbers. Their color provides excellent camouflage as it moves through the grass and low shrubs in search of insects and spiders. They rarely bite when handled, but will smear a captor's hand with a musky anal secretion. It is hunted by various predators, including the red-tailed hawk, bears, raccoons, foxes, housecats, and humans. Humans like to keep them as pets, but they do not survive well in captivity. The smooth green snake population is declining because of pesticides as well as destruction of habitats. Indiana is one of the few states protecting the smooth green snake. You've been listening to In Nature. For Eco Report, I am Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshallek. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we are all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. Participate in a wildflower identification workshop at the Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area this Saturday, August 5th, from 9 a.m. to noon. You will learn about how to identify native prairie plants and how they benefit pollinators. Snacks and beverages will be provided as well. You must register for this event to Ethan Plumier at eplumier.com. That's E-P-L-U-M-I-E-R at D-N-R dot I-N dot gov or call 812-512-9159. Do you have a hive mind? Join the park naturalist at Brown County State Park on Sunday, August 6th from 11 to 11.30 a.m. for an informative presentation about honeybees. You will learn from the honeybee hive at the park's nature center and understand how these insects create an elaborate society and serve as pollinators. Learn about animal tracks at Spring Mill State Park on Monday, August 7th from 2 to 2.30 p.m. Find out who's been in your, in your yard. Meet the naturalist on the patio at the Lakeview Nature Center for a short walk to see who has visited the lake. A Seeing Stars program will take place at the Town State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Saturday, August 12th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Discover how to identify some of the constellations and hopefully get to see or to view the Perseid meteor shower. 
Enjoy a frog talk and hike at Spring Mill State Park on Sunday, August 13th from 11 to 11.30 a.m. Meet the naturalist, Jill, on the back patio of the Nature Center to learn about amphibians and their calls. up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy. Today's news feature was produced by Zero Rose and edited by Noel Herhusky Schneider. Juliana Daly assembled the script, which was edited by Zero Rose. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Cade Young and Noel Herhusky Schneider produced today's show. Brandon Blewett is our engineer. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshallet. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.